Good evening, and welcome to a special edition of Backstage Stories on WBAI New York. I am Marcia Pendleton, the producer and your host. Tonight, you'll have the opportunity to listen to a very special interview with award-winning writer and performer Jocelyn Bio. Jocelyn came to prominence as a playwright with her groundbreaking comedy, Schoolgirls or the African Mean Girls Play. She continued to bring African humor and Black joy to the stage with her acclaimed production of Merry Wives that was seen this summer at Shakespeare in the Park. And tonight, we'll hear about Nollywood Dreams, her most recent work, now playing at MCC Theater through the end of November. I saw Nollywood Dreams, and it is a delightfully funny tale about the Nigerian film industry with some love and romance mixed in with a wonderful ensemble. So let's get on with it and listen to part one of my interview with the amazing Jocelyn Bio. Welcome, Jocelyn, to Backstage Stories. How are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being here. And let's start off with talking about the fact that you are also an actor in addition to being a writer. Mm -hmm. So my question is, which came first, the acting or the writing or did the writing did the acting lead to the writing for you? I think I would have to say that the acting um, led to the writing, but um, I initially was an actor first. You know, I thought um, I was going to be a dancer for many years. I grew up, you know, wanting to be like a fly girl on that show in Living Color. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so like the dancing eventually led to musical theater, musical theater led to straight plays. Um, and once I went to college and started studying theater, um, as an actor, um, I took a playwriting course to kind of compensate for credits that I wasn't receiving, um, in my acting classes because I wasn't getting cast and stuff. And so I fell in love with playwriting and, you know, my professor was like, look, I think you have a good ear for dialogue. I think writing is something you should continue to pursue. Um, and so I went to grad school and studied playwriting and then both of both careers have kind of interweaved um, in a unique and nice way um, since I've been out of school. So, um, yeah, the, the acting led to the writing, but I still do both. Where did you go to school? Where was your undergrad education and where did you go for graduate school? I went to undergrad um, at Ohio State University. Um, I'm from New York originally. I'm from Washington Heights, born and raised. Um, but I uh, wanted to go out of out of state. I wanted to go to a big school, um, and I really fell in love with Ohio State. So I went there for undergrad, and then I came back home to New York uh, for grad school. I went to Columbia and got my MFA in playwriting from there. Um, Ohio State University, that's a yeah. huge state school. What was that yeah. experience like for you coming out of this place called New York where people live on top of each other and it's always go, go, go. And it's the Midwest is really quite different. Well, you know, I kind of feel like I had uh, a kind of in-between stage between Ohio State and um, 
my New York living because when I was uh, 12, I went to boarding school. I went to a scholarship-based boarding school um, in Hershey, Pennsylvania. And so even though most of us were from the inner city, most of us were from New York or DMV area or Philly. Um, so I went to school with a lot of black and brown kids. We were just in the middle of the suburbs in Hershey, Pennsylvania. So Where in Hershey, where did you go to school? It was called Milton Hershey School. Oh, I know that school. I yeah. know that school. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and so even though I spent half my time at school and then half my time back home in New York, I still understood what life was like outside of the city a little bit. And because my boarding school was so small, that was kind of the reason why I wanted to go to such a big um, you know, school. Um, so I really enjoyed Ohio State, I have to say. Like, I mean, other than like the few things like, you know, be, uh, not being able to be as involved in the theater program as I wanted to because they cast shows to type, which really limited, you know, roles I could be in because they felt like only, you know, white people could do particular roles. Um, and I feel like that was the most that was the biggest downside um, to the school, but I loved how big it was. I loved, you know, football Saturdays. Like I'm a big football person. Um, I loved all the friends and the community, you know, that I made there, even though it's a, it's a predominantly white institution, you know, a lot of the black kids who went there, we really stuck with each other. And so a lot of my experiences socially um, really felt like I was at a black school. Um, So I really enjoyed it. But I think after four years, I was like, okay, I'm getting serious about my life, my career. And I knew that if I wanted to keep pursuing theater or entertainment in general, I knew I needed to come back home um, to New York. So that's why I skedaddled back on over um, to Columbia. You talked about being uh, born and raised in Washington Heights, Mm -hmm. but that's not where your parents are from. No, both of my parents are from Ghana in uh, West Africa um, and for reasons I will never know, settled in Washington Heights, um, or at least that's where they were when I, by the time I was born. I have two older siblings. Um, and so I grew up in this, you know, predominantly Dominican and Puerto Rican neighborhood. Um, and we were like kind of the few um, African families who lived uh, in the neighborhood, certainly in my school, you know, you could always spot me in the class picture for sure. Um, just a little chocolate drop amongst the sea of caramel. Um, so it was a, also like a unique experience because it was also what we were other within the other within the other, right? It's like very layered, um, New York living. But I, I, what I love about Washington Heights is that it's a very family oriented neighborhood. Um, and so a lot of the parents and the, and the, um, you know, older siblings, like a lot of them looked out for each other. And, um, so I felt very taken care of by, you know, a lot of my classmates' parents and, you know, older siblings. And, um, I love that neighborhood. I love it. I, I, I only just moved out of there recently, like in the last six months. So I kind of stuck, stuck, um, stuck with it, like basically my whole life. When did you know that you needed to be an artist uh, beyond watching everybody on uh, In Living Color? Mm -hmm. um, How did you know what were those seminal moments for you that you knew that the artist's life was the way for you? Um, I think the 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 time that it all kind of came together, or as like Oprah would say, the aha moment, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> um, was definitely in high school. Um, I was 16, and there was a um, 
uh, international thespian society like conference that would happen um, every you know year. And my school, we did like a um, kind of truncated version of um, the based on the Lion King, like the Broadway show of the Lion King where I played Rafiki. Um, and we did it with like, you know, um, cool, like fluorescent um, costumes and black lighting and all this stuff. And it was just such a fun and unique um, experience. But I never will forget how thrilling that was for me walking on stage and, you know, kind of singing those very, you know, um, uh, uh, popular notes that Rafiki sings at the beginning um, in Swahili and how much the audience just like, just completely fell into our laps. Like it just felt like such a beautiful connection and moment. And sure it was high school and like, I don't know, maybe, maybe what we did wasn't that amazing, but um, it felt amazing in that time. And I was like, wow, if I could create moments like this, you know, um, between what I do on stage um, and an audience, like that will be really fulfilling for me. I've never, never forgotten that moment ever. What was it like for you to hear your words being performed by someone else? You know, it was it was um, not as odd as I think it probably should have been, right? Mm -hmm. Because, I, you know, initially when I started writing, I thought that I was going to do like the one woman show thing. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be like, you know, a lot of my heroes at the time and really still um, like Charlene Woodard and mm -hmm. Sarah Jones and Elijah Sun. Um, and I thought I was going to do kind of like, you know, hat rack theater, you know, if you will. And... I just never got around to it. I never got around to like writing that one woman show. I always like enjoyed creating more than one character. Um, and so the first time I heard it, it was just kind of like a fun experience to know like what I was hearing in my head was possibly landing with an actor. It felt like, you know, I, I, I was, it was a clear understanding of what, you know, I wanted to say and how it was being, you know, received and therefore delivered to an audience. So it was, it was cool, you know? Um, and then I just wanted to like, make sure that I always wrote something that always worked, you know, which I think is kind of the um, kind of inciting moment where I realized like, oh, I'm a big rewriter, you know, I will rewrite until I get it right, you know, until I know that that joke lands or that moment lands or those words are falling out in the exact way that I think um, someone would actually, you know, tell a story. Um, yeah, it was cool. I, I never, I never get, it never gets old. It never gets old. <laughs> Hat Rack Theater. What does yeah. that mean for folks? Hat Rack Theater is kind of like, um, you know, using small props, um, be it a hat or a scarf or glasses, whatever, to kind of indicate that you, you as the single performer are now becoming another character. Um, and so um, folks like Anna DeVere Smith, I think kind of like really, you know, um, changed the game with that. She would use very few props to kind of shift um, into whatever character she was becoming. And I mean, we've seen her be, you know, an older black church lady to, 
you know, a young Jewish man in Brooklyn. You know what I mean? Yes. Um, but you believe it. You believe it with just that small little prop and, of course, her, you know, brilliant acting. So um, I thought that that was going to be a really great and amazing challenge for me as a performer to do that kind of thing. And I just... And I still have not gotten around to it. Circle back in a couple of years, maybe maybe I'll <laughs> maybe write that happen. whole woman show. Yeah. <laughs> maybe it'll happen. Your parents, how did they respond to you becoming an artist? Did they want you to be something else? Are your siblings uh, doing something that is more, quote unquote, acceptable in terms yeah. of making a living? I think my and I, I certainly think that my my parents fall under the same umbrella that most parents. But I'll speak generally for like first generation kids who all want their, you know, all parents want their kids to become, you know, a doctor, you know, or, or as they say, a doctor, a lawyer, a school teacher, engineer, you know, like those are like the four, you know, acceptable professions. Right. Um, and my parents were no exception to that. So I think they. um you know, always had concerns, you know, about what it was. But, um, you know, for the most part, I've stayed out, of, pretty much stayed out of my way, at least, you know, in the latter years. You know, I, I, I've always been a hustler. I've been very scrappy and um, always worked really hard. And, um, you know, eventually those things started to really pay off. Now, of course, it was harder because I have, you know, I'm the youngest of three um, and I have my oldest sibling is my brother who's the only boy he became a doctor um and then i have an older sister who is in administrative social work so it's like medical adjacent you know mm -hmm. um and so i'm certainly the black sheep uh when it comes to you know the kind of work that i do um so yeah i i think they they unfortunately fall under that same generalization but it all it all worked out we all you know we all landed on our feet <laughs> What was it like for them to attend your first success as a writer and as an actor? What was that like for them? Yeah, I would say um, the the biggest ones, you know, like in in the latter years where my work started to become more well known, um, you know, unfortunately, my father wasn't able to actually physically see it because he um, in his older years um, developed a condition and lost his vision. Um, and so he's been blind for um, the last 10 plus years. Um, but he's like, heard my plays or like listen to um, any work, especially things that I've written for TV. I've, those have been obviously very easy to play for him. Um, and so he's, you know, excited, you know, that I just, he, he, he can hear a radio ad, you know, about um, my play. And we'll just be like, oh, that's my daughter, you know, and like, that's, you know, thrilling. Um, I think for, I'll say for, for my mom, it was probably um, seeing me in um, my first and today only Broadway show as an actor because um, it was just so big, you know, large scale. There's almost nobody in the world who doesn't know what Broadway is, you know. Um, and so she she understood the um, the accomplishment, you know, that I had made it to a Broadway stage. I was doing what I loved. 
Um, I was putting good use to all of the like funny characters and voices that I always made up as a child because in the play I was in, which was called Curious Incident of the Dog in the Nighttime, um, it's a play set in London, but it required my particular character played multiple characters. So um, I got to be, you know, British in certain places. I got to be, uh, you know, Caribbean woman in one scene. I got to be uh, African woman in another scene. So um I think, you know, all of my funny, you know, was put on display there. And um, I, I, it seems to me that she really understood how um, big that was, especially considering how much I've been, how many years I've been working at that point to try to get on Broadway. So that was a cool experience. Talk a little bit about your development as a writer. You talked earlier about writing uh taking a playwriting course in in college. Is that where it began or did you always like to tell stories? Um, when did you find out that you really needed to connect with the stories that you wanted to tell as a writer that was outside of this playwriting class? Um. Well, it really was the playwriting course, I think, that really started everything. Because I'd never never written anything before. I'd never thought about being a writer before. Um, I just needed, you know, to compensate for these credits, right? So I just took this (laughs) class and was like, let's see how it goes. So that's really what kicked kicked it off. Um, It was also only there where I started you know, writing and realizing that I was having fun. I enjoyed, you know, writing the things I was working on. Um, It seemed easy. It didn't feel like super hard um, or like I couldn't figure it out. I understood how to make a story from beginning to end. Um, By the time I went to graduate school, it was really, that experience was about like honing those skills and understanding how to like craft story, how to write character driven narratives, um, just to understand the fundamentals of playwriting, because I'd only ever, you know, experience plays by reading them or acting in them. So um, understanding how to craft one myself took um, took some time. So yeah, that was that was really it. I I truly had never even thought about playwriting before then. It was it's it's wild to think of that now, considering what my mm-hmm. what my career is, but um that's where it was when I was twenty years old in school. Who influenced you as a writer and who um were and maybe still are your mentors? I feel like I've been influenced by a myriad of people. I mean, even though I grew up in New York City, um, which is obviously the heart of um theater um, we did not have the money to go to see a lot of shows or or anything like that. So um, a lot of my entertainment or kind of understanding, I'll say, of comedy really came from watching, you know, television, watching sitcoms, which, you know, now that I think of it are in, in a lot of ways is like live theater. You know, at that time they were um, filmed in front of studio audiences and, um, you know, you were bounced, you had different set pieces, just like a play. Um, so I was very inspired by a lot of those like 90s, you know, comedies um, that 80s and 90s comedies that existed um, on TV. 
Um, I loved I Love Lucy. That was a huge one for me. I don't know why. I just was obsessed with that show. Still am. Um, and then I, as I got older, I think I really, I actually got to meet, you know, Charlene Woodard um, and tell her about, you know, what um, her work meant to me um, as an artist. Um, I will forever and always be trying to write the most perfect plays that I believe Lynn Nottage is, um, can do in her sleep. I don't know how she's that perfect, but she is. Um, and uh, I, I feel like I pull tiny seeds of mentorship from, you know, um, those kinds of writers, uh, ones who are, um, who came before me, and even the ones who are alongside me, like, you know, Katori and Dominique Morisot and Rada Blank. Like, these are people who um, I admire and look up to and, and reach out to when I need, you know, advice or help um, or certainly just um, mentorship in any way. So I feel really lucky that I'm coming up in a time where all of these incredible writers are um, around and um, that I have access to and that I'm fortunate enough to call friends. What are the institutions that helped you develop your craft as a writer? You know, I got to really shout out um, the institutions that don't always get all of the recognition that they deserve, but they were certainly the people who gave me all of the opportunities I wanted, like National Black Theater and Classical Theater of Harlem, New Black Fest, um, the now, unfortunately, defunct um, Lark Play Development Center. You know, these were people who and, and institutions who no questions asked. You know, I was like, hey, I, I wrote a new play. And they were like, great. Want to do a reading? We'll organize it for you. We'll mock up a flyer for you. We'll invite people for you. We'll carve out space, you know. Um, we'll give you money, you know, if you if you need a little bit of, of money to pay the actors or whatever. And with each reading, I feel like I just got better and better and better at understanding like um, the work and stuff I was creating and how I was crafting it and really um, honing my voice. It was scary to be like writing about African comedy when no one writes anything remotely funny about African people or African stories. So to have these institutions be like, we love what you're doing. And, you know, if right now all we can financially do to support it is host a reading for you or a workshop, then we're happy to do that. And um, I'll always be indebted to them for that. That's a great segue to my next question is about the role of humor Mm -hmm. in your work, because quite often we not quite often, but like all the time, we don't see anything that's joyous about the continent of of Africa anywhere, anywhere, at least here in the United States. We don't see that. Talk about the the role of humor in your work. Well, I think it's twofold. One is that like, I feel like my voice just naturally lives in a comedic place. Um, Even when I thought I wrote a kind of serious drama, you know, um, and I remember I did a reading of it, you know, I did a whole big preface before I was like, you know, this is a departure for me, you know, blah, 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 like all this stuff. And then, you know, literally two minutes in, everybody was still laughing. And I was like, okay, got it. So I just wrote dark humor. Cool, cool. Um, 
So it's just naturally where my voice lives and where I feel like um, it's easy for people to kind of enjoy and ingest um, the story. But I think specifically because I I really love and writing about um, African people, particularly, you know, um, my people from Ghana or, you know, in the case of my new play set in Nigeria, um, I have a musical that's set in Kenya. Um, I just love being able to kind of add to um, the conversation of how the diaspora is being reflected. Um, and, you know, weirdly, I feel just kind of in on the highway, you know, alone, like there's no traffic there. I, I pray that there are like other cars that come along and start, and, and do the same thing. Um, Cause I certainly don't want to be the only voice of, you know, African humor. I don't think I am. Um, I just, know that it's been it's been a lonely road trying to get produced and so making that easier um for other people who are trying to do to do a similar thing and maybe it's not even africa maybe they're just trying to write just you know black humor black joy um to be able to kind of help um you know pave the way uh is really important to me because we are a beautiful and amazing and incredible and resilient group of people um, just Black people. Um, and a big part of how we are resilient is that we find joy and humor in any and every moment we can. Um, and that's something that nobody's been able to strip away from us. And it's very frustrating that they can't. Um, so to be able to kind of keep doing that small form of rebellion feels um, exciting for me. You have some incredible partners in your small form of rebellion. Yes. Talk a little bit about your collaborators. Um, and in particular, I'm really interested in your relationship with director Sahim Ali. Mm-hmm. You know, Sahim is somebody who we crossed paths at Columbia. He was a third year directing um, student when I was a first year playwriting student. So we we didn't we didn't have a, a huge crossover in that like we were in classes or anything like that together, but I was able to see some of the work that he had directed and um was really impressed by it. It felt very different and fresh from everything that had been done um at Columbia at the time. And so I was really excited by that. And it wasn't until many years later, um, approximately seven years later, um, that I reached out to him with um, the very first draft of Nollywood Dreams. And uh, it wound up being a partnership and a collaboration that we both just really loved. We really enjoyed. It was very symbiotic. We, we really understood each other um, and understood what we were trying to do. Um, and it's a collaboration that just can I just never let it go. We both just never let each other go. I don't know why, um, but you, it's, it's kind of magical and amazing when you meet those people who really understand your vision um, and share that same passion for your vision and are committed to um, getting that vision out there into the masses. And he's always been that for me, you know, for a long time, Nollywood, we were trying to get Nollywood dreams produced at so many so many theaters. We had a reading any and everywhere you can think of. We, you know, there was a reading of Nollywood Dreams. Um, and he rode that wave with me for nearly nine years until we finally landed um, and got our full, you know, production 
um, at MCC. And there's very few people who will, you know, stay on the ship with you, um, even when it feels like it's sinking, <laughs> you know, at certain times, you know, and he did. So uh, I feel really fortunate. I felt the same way with Rebecca Tashman, um, who was my director on um school girls or the African mean girls play. And she was a really unlikely collaborator because I really thought for a long time that, you know, the play could only be, could only be directed by, you know, a black woman. Um, and, and I was not really open to the idea of it, you know, being anybody else. Um, but it was only that the people we wanted to work with or whatever were not available. And I decided to kind of, you know, let my guard down and see, you know, um, never believing that I would meet somebody who could understand the play um, and not have that kind of takeover spirit um, that I feel like it's very easy for um, some directors, um, uh, particularly white directors to do when they walk into black um, pieces. Um, and she really did it. She was um, dramaturgically very sound, um, very considerate, very protective of me, um, especially considering that was my first, you know, produced play. Um, and I just couldn't have asked for a better collaborator. And now, you know, in hindsight, I'm like, there's no other person who could have um, done that particular production with me. Um, so, you know, God be knowing. <laughs> yes, always, always. You used the term dramaturgically sound. Could you explain what that means to the audience? Yeah, you know, just... Sometimes when you're working on a new play, you need somebody who has um, an understanding of just like the mechanics of how a play can work, whether it's with character, whether it's like, um, you know, the plot of the play, the story of it. You need somebody who has an understanding of how to like kind of get underneath there and, you know, dig dig it all out and help you put it back together again, break it all apart like a puzzle and help you put the pieces back together again. And I feel like Rebecca, um, you know, was a good dramaturg in that way where she understood how to, you know, break the play apart and ask me really great questions and give me really great provocations that pushed me into rewriting the play to being the exact thing that, um, I envisioned, um, so uh, it's, it's, it's helpful when you have a director who knows how to obviously put the play together on stage and then also knows how to help you build it as you're writing it. I'm going to take some time to speak about your latest project, which is now playing at MCC Theater, I believe, through the end of November. Correct. It is called Nollywood Dreams. What is it and why is it? And you are collaborating, like you said, with uh, Sahim Ali. He was on the ship for, for nine years and <laughs> it finally docked at MCC. Yeah. <laughs> yes. At it MCC Theater. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Nollywood Dreams could honestly be called Hollywood Dreams. Um, it's it's uh, uh, same similar similar tropes that I'm playing with. And that there's a young girl, um, kind of ingenue character, um, who wants to break into the Nollywood film industry, which is the nickname for the um, West African uh, film industry. 
Um, and so she auditions for a new um, role in, at an open call. And she comes head to head with like a slightly fading Nollywood actress. Um, and those two are in competition for this new role. Um, and comedy drama ensue. Um, basically baked into the story though, is like an immigration story and what it's like for people coming to America, um, wanting to have, you know, pursue their American dreams, but, you know, meeting reality, um, what it's like to, um, you know, fall in love, you know, for the first time and how, um, you know, heartbreaking it can be when it doesn't work out. Uh, it really, the play kind of feels and is structured to feel like you're watching um, a Nollywood movie. Um, and if you come see the show, you might even see a little snippet of one by the end of the play. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the film within the play. Yes. Okay, good. <laughs> that must have, that's hard to do, is it not? It's a, it was, it's an ambitious, it's an ambitious play um, just because it's not quite as simple as it feels on the page. You know, there's a lot of moving parts. There's different, there's three different places that the play takes place in. Um, and uh, because there's also a fun talk show um, host character, a kind of Nigerian Oprah, if you will, um, that I've created for the play um, that's baked in. And then we also have this like, yeah, this this trailer, you know, um, that uh, shows up in the play as well. So there's a lot of moving parts uh, <laughs> to it. But, man, it's 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 really fun. And, you know, in the spirit of Nollywood, which is kind of you know, films that are done really on the fly, maybe a little slapdash. Um, we were we were able to do all of those things uh, with the play and certainly with the trailer. So, you know, it all worked out. Why did you write this play and for whom did you write it? The play came to me years ago. I started writing it in 2013. Um and it came to me when I was at um, a hair braiding salon, which I've probably spent, I don't know, half of my life in. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, and there was a Nollywood movie that was playing that all of the hair braiding ladies um, in the shop were just, you know, just engrossed in. Like, I mean, barely braiding because they were like just in it. And, you know, I've spent my life watching a lot of those movies too. And I was like, wow, what an amazing thing it would be to, like, write something that kind of, like, honors this huge portion of my life and so many people's lives um, and also kind of speaks to um, the immigration um, experience, um, the immigrant experience here in America. And so that was really it. I just wanted to write something that honored this, these two, you know, worlds that I feel... Um, really uh, um, engulfed by and kind of raised by too, you know. Um, my parents have a very unique um, story of how they became, you know, American citizens. Um, and then I also love, you know, entertainment and arts. So I just, you know, um, married the two. And I guess I would say really the play is for anybody. Um, it's for anyone to enjoy. They just may not get everything. And that's okay, you know, because there's a lot of things I've watched that I don't get, you know. Not everything is for everybody, but 
uh, I, I don't feel that um, my work is in any way alienating. I think it's actually really inviting. Um, and um, for a lot of people, this, they've never even heard of the Nollywood film industry before. So to even be the introduction to them knowing about the second largest film producing industry in the world um, is in Nigeria. Yeah, yeah. It's really exciting to to share with them. Um, so you'll learn something new when you come see the play. Absolutely. Um, talk about your cast. Mm. I think you have one of the most amazing ensembles performing this season. Talk a little bit about who's in this play. You know, um, there's one particular actress in the play who has been um, a part of nearly every iteration um, of nearly every reading of this play as I develop it over the last eight and a half years. And that's Nana Mensa, hmm. um, who I just think is like a powerhouse um, actress, um, powerhouse writer as well. Um, and in the last year, she you know was able to show that um, via her film, um, Queen of Glory, that won a bunch of awards at all sorts of film festivals in the last um, few months, which is um, a thrill. But I just think she, you know, on top of her just being a friend and my Ghanaian sister, um, <laughs> I just think she's an incredible talent. Um, and then we also have folks like Abana, who, you know, I first met um, when she made her off-Broadway debut in Schoolgirls mm-hmm. um, or the African Mean Girls play, playing the very quiet, shy, you know, Nana, who was kind of, you know, tormented um, about her weight, you know, and to be able to create, um, you know, another role, you know, that I think Avina just, you know, flourishes. And I just think she's one of the most um, amazing and um, diverse actresses I've ever you know, worked with. And she's been in every single, you know, play I've written um, or produced since then. She was in Merry Wives this past summer. She'll be in Goddess after this. So it's all um, really exciting. And then we have some newcomers, too, who are making their off-Broadway debut. Um, Sandra Okuboyeju, who um, was in uh, um, the Chicago Company of Hamilton, when she, you know, got right out of school and is now coming back to New York um, to, you know, be and and have her off-Broadway debut. She plays the lead role of Ayama. Um, um, Ade Otikoya was just, I just, he's just a doll and a dream. He plays like the heartthrob of the play. And when you see, you'll understand why. He's just, it's, <laughs> all, it's all so free. It's so, that smile, it's like so easy and amazing. Um, and then we also have Imana Rochelle, who's also making her off-Broadway debut, too, who I think is just probably one of the funniest actresses I've ever met. And I don't say that lightly, considering that I write comedy. <laughs> so um, it's just a thrill. And rounded up by, um, you know, Charlie Hudson, who's like kind of an off-Broadway staple. He's just been right. in any and everything, you know, that you can think of in the last 10 years. He's been in, you know, especially centering, you know, Black people, he's been in it. Um, and I think in this role, it's something very different and fun um, for him. And I just I just love this cast. And we're very lucky that um, even though COVID shut us down um, the day before we went into technical rehearsals, um, we were able to get the entire cast back um, for this production. Um, we could bring it back in 2021, which is 
very fortunate for us, especially since like one of our cast members had a baby in the middle of um, oh, okay. the middle of all of that. So um, it's it's so we also have a little baby with us um, backstage too, which is like that's kind of great, you know. A baby always evens things out. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. What did you do during the what a lot of people are calling the pandemic pause Mm -hmm. as as an artist um, and waiting for this show to come back in and the commitment to the show from uh, MCC Theater? And also at the one more thing, MCC Theater Mm -hmm. and talk to us about your relationship with this particular theater. Yeah. So, you know, MCC, I think, um, you know, we 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 the relationship between us feels really um, awesome in that, you know, when I worked with them when I did my first reading of Schoolgirls with them um, and they ultimately programmed the show. it was an exciting kind of new step and new direction for them as a theater in terms of like the kinds of plays they wanted to produce. You know, um, they are not um, shy um, about the fact that like my play was the first play by a black playwright they had produced in 19 years, um, which was really intense. Um, And, you know, something that they recognized was a, you know, big problem for them. Um, And so I feel like schoolgirls kind of represented a shift in the culture of what they wanted to do and the kind of um, theater they wanted to become um, moving forward. And, you know, certainly advantageous for me to be able to finally have a play, you know, produce at probably the most unlikely place I ever thought, you know, I'd get produced at. So it's been a a pretty glorious, um, you know, nearly five years that we've been on this ride, you know, together between schoolgirls and now um, Nollywood Dreams. Um, I don't remember, what what was the other part of your question? I'm sorry, Marcia. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's okay. Because I think you've um, really and truly um, answered the uh, all of the questions, all of the okay. parts of the questions. Okay. <laughs> so it's it's okay. Um, let me see. The last thing that I wanted to ask you in this segment is, what do you want the audience to take away from seeing Nollywood Dreams? You know, it's so funny because I feel like... Um, the answer, if you would have asked me this question last year before the pandemic, before, um, that's what it was. That's what you asked me about. Yeah. <laughs> but if you would have asked me that before the pandemic, before um, any of this happened, I would have just said, um, you know, I just want people to come and, um, you know, learn about African stories, you know, maybe um, have a different interpretation of what you know, um, African people are, um, and then certainly, you know, learn something and, you know, have a good time. But I think in this moment, um, after what we've been through, I just want people to come and, you know, maybe they won't learn something. Maybe they won't, maybe they, maybe they, maybe that's not the intention. I don't know, but that I, I know one thing that this play definitely has large doses of is joy. And considering what we've all been through, 
um, everyone has a story of something that was pretty devastating in the last 20 months that happened to them, um, whether it was COVID related or not. And to be able to um, give someone for 90 minutes an opportunity to just kind of smile under their mask, you know, laugh um, in community with people um, feels like a really amazing honor. And that's what I want. (laughs) Now going to wrap up this wonderful conversation that we've been having with Jocelyn Bio actor and playwright with her new production of Nollywood Dreams, which is currently in production at MCC Theater. How do people get to see Nollywood Dreams? They can um, come on down to the MCC Theater on 52nd Street between 10th and 11th. we uh, we have seven shows a week, um, so there's plenty of opportunities for people <laughs> to, um, you know, come and check it out. Um, and uh, the only requirements that they have um, are um, needing to be masked and having to show proof of vaccination, which is pretty standard right now for all theater. Um, but yeah, that's it. Yeah, so the theater is actually located at 511 West 52nd Street between 9th and 10th. And for more information, you can go to MCC Theater, theater spelled with an E-R, that's mcctheater.org. How do we connect with you uh, via social media, if that's okay, if we can Folks can follow you to keep up with everything that's happening in your busy professional life. Yes, of course, of course. Um, All of my um, social media handles, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, are all at JJBIOH, um, which is two J's and my last name. Okay. And what's next for you? Um, right now, the next big project, at least in theater, that's coming up is um, a musical uh, that I wrote the book for called Goddess, which is having its world premiere at um, Berkeley Rep Theater in San Francisco area um, next year, um, next spring, um, starting in March. Performances start in March. Um, and cross fingers that like it'll go really well and we, you know, maybe circling back to New York and um, being on the great white way. So I'm, I'm hopeful of that. Um, but it's a thrilling musical. It's like um, really fun. Um, it's it's uh, based on the myth of the Kenyan myth of marimba, um, where um, a god who has a beautiful singing voice, but is cursed um, to never find love. That's like what the myth is about. And we've taken that very short myth and recontextualized it and set it in an Afrobeat um, jazz club in Mombasa, Kenya, um, with um, the, a beautiful lounge singer who has a mysterious story to her. Um, so it's really exciting. And we're, we're, we're thrilled about it. And it's starring Amber Mon, if anyone um, is familiar with her work. She's yes. quite the talent. Yeah. Yes, she is. I can't wait to see it. Maybe there will be some kind of special airline special 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to come out to, to see it. And I really and truly hope that it does make it back here to New York on Broadway and to see if people are really serious about presenting more diverse voices in places where they have not normally been. Uh, because there are those of us who rejoice in what's going on right now, but still giving it the side eye. <laughs> exactly, exactly. You know, because it could be temporary for all we know. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Any final thoughts that you want to leave us with in terms of following your dream or finding joy in unexpected places at unexpected times? Well, I mean, I, I think what you just said is super poignant, really. I mean, you know, we're, we're, we're trying to desperately claw our way out of a, a pandemic and still kind of in the midst, like living, living with it right alongside us. Um, and being able to find joy in this moment, it feels pretty unexpected, you know, um, and, and, and not planned, but that's, that's what, that's the best we can do, you know, at this point is like being able as an artist, as a theater artist is being able to like, you know, um, pass on joy, encourage joy, um, and hope that hanging on to that kind of joy is what'll, um, get us out. Of, of this really, truly, as, as we've all been saying, unprecedented time. So um, I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to do that. It feels like the best use of, um, of what God gave me to, to do is, is bring joy. So if I can do that for 90 minutes, I'm very happy, very happy to do that. And we were very, very happy to have you with us. We've yes. been speaking with Jocelyn Bio. And make sure, make sure you get to see Nollywood Dreams currently in production at MCC Theater, 511 West 52nd Street in New York between 9th and 10th Avenues. For more information, you can visit MCC Theater, that's MCC Theater spelled with an E-R dot org. Thank you so very much, Jocelyn. Thank you, Marcy. I appreciate it. Okay. This has been Backstage Stories on listener-supported WBAI New York. I am Marcia Pendleton, the producer and host, and I hope you have enjoyed this conversation with our featured artist, Jocelyn Bio. Thank you for listening and have a good one.